Reesley, I'm delighted to have you on the show, the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. We've connected recently on uh, a couple of different platforms, actually, through Rebecca, your colleague. Yeah. Thrilled to have you on. Um, for Thanks those for having me know, on. Um, tell us what you're doing now. So I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Dent Global, which is uh, a business accelerator company. We've got offices in the UK, Australia, and Canada. And um, we work with like three and a half thousand companies around the world. Uh, we've taken them through a process called the Key Person of Influence program, um, which has been great. The way we built that business is I wrote a book called Key Person of Influence. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I had a what's called an online scorecard or a quiz, which tests people whether they've got the skills of influence. And this was a game changer. It was 90,000 people took the quiz and that generated tens of millions worth of sales. And it was pretty simple. We give away the book for free. People read the book. They then take the quiz and the quiz gets people to talk to our team and our team talk about what we do and we, mm. we grew the business. So we scaled the business off the back of uh, this very simple formula of getting people to take an online quiz. Yeah. And when I say an online quiz, it's it's professionalized. It's a it's not NAF. It's not like a which Disney princess are you or anything like that. It's yeah. it's a it's an online assessment, right? Right. Uh, that type of thing. Um, anyway, a lot of our clients who are quite savvy said, "Hey, I really like the way you got me onto this. Uh, mm. I want one of these scorecards. I want one of these quizzes assessments." Yeah. So we spun out a new business over the pandemic called Score App. And that is the platform, it's the software for building an online assessment. And this has just been an amazing, fun, cool business. I've always been in services, business mm. services and people businesses. And then this was my first go at a software business. And we've just grown exponential. So we've got two and a half thousand wow. uh, clients in the last couple of years. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a new book coming out called Scorecard Marketing, which yeah. explains how to how to how to do it. Uh, we've got some great corporates who are using it internally with their team. We've got people using it to benchmark performance in the NHS. We've got people right, okay. using it to generate leads. Uh, we've got coaches and consultants, like one-person businesses who yeah. have transformed their business. We, we, we now get emails pretty much every day saying, this is my number one lead generation. This Brilliant. is the cornerstone of my business. Several coaches, consultants have replaced their website with a, with a scorecard mm. instead. Um, so yeah, so that basically that's it. On one hand, I've got a group of companies which is the growth services and and uh, accelerator business. Yeah, and then there's the software business. Uh, that, which... That's really interesting because there's a lot of kind of these engagement surveys and, and quizzes and stuff like that. So I mean, how did you cut through the noise? What what's different about a what you're doing and how did you cut through that noise? With our one or with the software? Well, both really. Yeah. So with our one, I think we had some good content uh, with the book. That was people were enjoying that, and we had some good videos and um, and mm. blogs, and basically all roads led to the scorecard. So yeah. if you read a blog, take the scorecard. If you read the book, take the scorecard. If you attended one of our events, take the scorecard. You've bought a ticket, come and get the scorecard. Yeah. So we kind of made made that uh, a real cornerstone. I'll give you a bit of background as well on on where that idea came from. Mm. Um, in two thousand and seven eight, Obama did his campaign. And he was really engaging people on social media. Yeah. And it, at that time, it was a turning point for social media. Social media was like a, um, a thing that kids did or teenagers did or young people did. And then Obama comes along and everyone widely credited that him using social media was the tool mm. that got him the presidency. Mm. And I clocked this idea that the presidential election is a really good place to learn marketing trends right. and to see what marketing works. Sure. 
So in 2016, I was watching this idea of how they win the Trump campaign and the Brexit campaign, and out comes this idea called Cambridge Analytica. Mm. And when they unpacked how they did it, they got people to answer a quiz. Sure. And then they collected all that data. Yes. And then they remarketed to people based on how they answered the questions. Because I think people like pressing buttons on LinkedIn when you do a poll. They go crazy, don't they? They love it, right? It's something to engage in. Yeah. And so I realized that data analytics was going to be the big next trend. That was the next social media. So social media has hit the top of its S-curve. It's mature. It's adopted. Um, Mm. But I thought, what's the next big trend? And I thought, well, data analytics is going to be the next mm. big trend. And 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 that rung true in our business because mm. our business was built off the back of collecting data, sure. deep data, important sure. data, and responding to people based on the data. Mm. So um, what we did is we just put time and energy and effort into giving people good custom results. So based on how you answer the questions, you get a nice customized PDF report and it tells you these are the things you should do. Um, so start, you know, it's almost like because of what you said on the on the questions, go start here. Right. So it gives them a pointer as to to be an entrepreneur or what type of um, personality they have as well. Or it's not so much personality test, although that is a perfect example of how this works. Right. Um, so if ever anyone's taken a personality test online, yeah, it says, well, you're an introvert or an extrovert, or mm. you're, you're a mm. high frequency thinker, or you're a details person. Yeah. Um, and then it says you should focus on you know having this kind of a career, or you should focus on mm. complementing your strengths with these uh, with these strengths. Yeah. And um, and that's exactly the the kind of system of an assessment that sure. then gives you custom results. Sure. I want to delve into that a bit more deeper, and also understand sort of the scale of your businesses. I know you're you're kind of a serial entrepreneur, a number of businesses. But before we could go into that, I ask all my guests the same thing. I want to find a find out more about you as a person as a human being Daniel um, so tell the audience a bit of a journey from since school to now so uh, I grew up on the Sunshine Coast which is a beach beautiful beach community in Australia um, and <laughs> strangely I always wanted to be an entrepreneur I worked for this guy who owned six McDonald's franchises and I saw him owning McDonald's and being an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. I discovered this book called The E-Myth and I read this and I discovered this guy, Tony Robbins, and yeah. and kind of all of that got mixed into a bucket, this kind of Tony Robbins experience, the mm. Randy, the McDonald's owner, and E-Myth, the system. I started this idea that maybe I would be an entrepreneur and that that could be how I would make my mm-hmm. life and my lifestyle. Um, and there was a few family friends who owned businesses that, that I saw and I kind of built more and more desire for this. Um, so I left school, went to university, discovered that none of the university lecturers had a business or had ever had a business. Yeah. <laughs> and I was disappointed, so I quit and I joined a startup and um, and I became employee number three we didn't have a bank account and business name. We had nothing really. Just this guy who had left his previous company. He had a list, a personal list of 15,000 names. And he basically, we were starting a new business with 15,000 names on a database. And that was that was it. And I went from complete standing start to 6 million of revenue uh, and 60 people on a team. Wow. And this guy, I was 19 to age 21, so I did two years with John. Yeah. And I just had this amazing experience of going from a startup. So it was the dream experience, mm. right? For someone who wanted to be an entrepreneur, to go through a fast growth business was just awesome. Just give us a headline as to how you did that. Because in 19, you, you, with the greatest respect, none of us really know oh, much about business or life. I was, I was complete, 
complete numpty. <laughs> um, but John took me under his wing and he saw me as what I would today call a Swiss Army knife. And I've had plenty of Swiss Army knives in my life now. Mm. Mm. Um, so I like to keep a good Swiss Army knife around. Sure. So a Swiss Army knife is someone who can do 25 things badly. Mm. Um, so I was John's Swiss Army knife. So if he needed me to fold envelope, fold yeah. letters and put them in envelopes and take them to the mailbox, yeah. I would do that. If he needed me to get on the phone and make 70 phone attempts a day and uh, make some cold calls, I would do that. Uh, if he needed me to um, contact the newspaper and get a quote for a quarter page ad in the newspaper, I'd do that. Yeah. So he would just have me thrown at whatever right. was the issue of the day. Sure. And to sweep up the, the, the stuff. Yeah, I was I was a fixer, yeah. um, but I was you know I was a dumb nineteen to mm. you know no skills, just passionate, just mm. excited, sure. passionate. So John would just give me all these things, and the other thing too is he would get me to sit in on meetings. Um, so I'm sitting there while we're hiring people, and I'm sitting there while yeah. we're coming up with marketing campaigns, and while we're writing emails, uh, writing uh, newsletters, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I'm touring with him and I'm picking him up from the airport and I'm dropping him off at the airport and yeah. I'm uh, working out of his house, yeah. right? So I get to his house at 8.30 in the morning and leave at 5.30, 6 o'clock at night. Uh, and yeah. so I'm seeing how he runs his life and all of that stuff. So basically I get this apprenticeship. It's an incredible apprenticeship yeah, money can't buy. Uh, 21 years old, I go to John and I say, can I get shares in the business? And he says, no, it's too late for that. If you want shares in the business, you need to go start your own business. Mm. So I did. I, I quit. <laughs> I quit and I started my own company uh, in Australia. It became a very fast growth business. I applied everything that I'd learned from John. I copied what I'd seen. Um, we went from zero to 10 million in the first three years and uh, built an amazing team of 25-year-olds, work hard, play hard culture. Yeah. Um, we all operated out of a massive like seven bedroom home right. that we turned into offices. Is this all kind of like sort of what you would say inbound marketing growth or how did you build it? Was it outbound sales? Lots or? of ads. Right. We were an ads business. Right. So the, the first business was um, event marketing and management and we yeah. would specialize in roadshows and tours. Okay. So let's say you wanted to roll out a new franchise, you would hire my firm and we would roll you out uh, event marketing. So we would do intro presentations. Yeah. Okay. Um, and our specialty was two-hour intros, an introduction to mm. whatever, mm. right? So we did introductions to new bedding. We did introductions to financial planning. We did introductions to software companies. We did introductions right. to franchises. Now, the genius of it was that I would cut a deal where I would take personal risk of running the costs of running this in exchange for the back-end sales. Got you. So one of our biggest moves was when we did a deal with a franchise company mm -hmm. and we would get 20% of every franchise fee. Got you. Um, now, those were 60 grand franchise fees mm. and we were getting 12 grand every time we sold one. Right. Um, and we'd get part of the costs covered. And, and basically, that was a $10 million home run in one year. Um, mm. And we were like earned... Two million in fees off the back of that, mm. with most costs covered. So okay. that was kind of what it built up to. So at twenty-one, you asked for shares, set up your business, and three <laughs> years got that to ten million. So you're sort of mid twenties now. What, what, what happened next? Had a big falling out with one of our partners, uh, which um, which they were going to acquire us, and we got into a fight during the whole negotiation for time, and um, they threw a tantrum, I threw a tantrum, uh, and ended up kind of parting ways and uh what mm. would have been an what would have been a massive life-changing 
deal yeah um fell apart for both right so they missed out and we missed out um it's often the case when you're presented with an offer a number but then the reality of it is different isn't it so give us a bit more detail on that well i think when two parties come together they see the synergies and their big picture expand the pie mindset kicks in yeah and then when they start to enroll their teams and start to enroll all the people who need to be enrolled in the deal yeah a lot of those people are more detail people and nitpicking kind of people. So you can mm. get a situation like mine where two CEOs get together and go, our companies would be great together. Let's do the deal. Yeah. Headline number, headline deal. We're excited. We're going to create great wealth. Sure. And then you get a prickly CFO who has a board seat and who has a, um, yeah. uh, and who is a carve the pie, not expand the pie kind of mindset. Yeah. And they come in and they start, picking over every detail Mm. and then start negotiating hardball and and basically kill the deal. And it happens all the time. Um, I think that's why it's difficult sometimes if 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 you if you do a deal and you stay on as as a as a CEO, you know, to expect the culture to be the same is I mean it's it's a completely different animal and rightly so the investor or the buyer wants their pound of flesh, but also I think there should be a consideration around normally the culture is responsible for the success of the profit of the business as well. And it's a fine line sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And um, yeah, you you know, if you're buying hard assets like property, then you can have nasty negotiations and it doesn't impact the property. Mm. But if you're buying a business that is mostly intangible, yeah, if you have horrible negotiations and you kill the chemistry, yeah, then you're left with two businesses that don't want to get along. Yeah. Um, and that's where we were headed. So I called the deal off um, two days before Christmas. Uh, How much did you walk away from potentially? Uh, like millions, tens of like over, well, like what's it, eight, well into the eight figures. And that's because it just didn't, it didn't sit right with you basically. Yeah? I had a business coach at the time who talked about um, this concept of awareness and mind chatter, tummy chatter mm. and intuition. Mm. And, um, and he basically said, you already know it's going to happen. Yeah. Right? You know, this isn't going to, going to work. It's not going to play out. Mm. Um, And I was just young, right? So, yeah. okay, I would have handled things very differently. I I would have, today I'd have the skills to get that back on on board. Sure. Um, And I would would easily have gotten that back on board, right? And I would have Mm. structured it. I would have structured a deal that worked and de-risked it for the CFO and all that Mm. sort of stuff. Mm. Youth and inexperience, basically... I just threw a tantrum. They threw they threw a tantrum, and we threw a tantrum, and basically yeah. we just let it descend um, real fast. They yeah. they also pulled a very very nasty negotiating move. I mean, I might be wrong in this, but I think you're you're a multimillionaire, or you're certainly a millionaire. D- doing okay, yeah. yeah. You're doing well. Um, how important is money to you over over something like purpose? Uh, money is an important part because it's it's kind of like the scorecard of the game, right? And the game only gets played if the money's flying around. Mm. So you know, it's kind of like how important's the ball uh, and the scoreboard to yeah. to football. Well, if there's no ball, you can't really play the game, and if there's no scoreboard, there's no point to playing the game, right? So it's a it's a hugely important part. Mm. But then once you assume that it is an important part. That's not what keeps a team together. You know, if you use a football example, the the chemistry of the team, the sporting culture, yeah. the desire to work together as a team, yeah. the vision of where you're going to get to as a team. Absolutely. All of that is is far more important. And purely and simply just having a ball and a scorecard doesn't yeah. actually get you anywhere. Um, totally. So, you know, you then have to execute the, the skills. 
So, I mean, it's look, it's very easy for someone like myself to say money's, oh, money's not that important. Well, okay, good good for you now you've got some. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, look, it's never, it's never actually, to, to be honest, it's never actually been that important, which is why I walked yeah. away from the deal. Sure. I was really interested in the vision of the company when I started working with them back yeah, in the day. absolutely. And then I knew that that was all unraveling. So it just was, and it was actually a surprisingly easy decision to just say this isn't mm. going to work, and we're not going to do the deal. And that really re- uh, resonates with me because I'm a business coach, and I'm asked by my clients to come in and scale the business from X to Y. And I always ask why. And before I do any of that kind of operational stuff, I always try and get that vision pinned yeah. down. But it shouldn't just be the leader's vision; it should be like an our vision. Mm. And when you've got that collective kind of goal. I mean, people think this is fluffy. It's not. No. It's, it's one of the, the most important it's, things. It's the first question. What's the point? Right? What's the point? Yeah. So, like, and also, there's there's kind of two kinds of businesses. There's the lifestyle business, fun, freedom, flexibility, small team. Yeah. We work hard. We play hard. We love each other. Um, but that goes up to about 12 people. Sure. Right? So, you can have a core team of about 12 that kind of work mm. that way. Mm. Uh, and you can have some consultants around it and you can have some extension on the team. But there's about a core team of 8 to 12 people and you can have the fun, freedom, flexibility. And then once you decide to go past that, it's not going to be fun again until there's about 40 or 50 people. Absolutely. Uh, so, you're going to have to have CEO, CTO, COO, CFO, yeah. CMO. And that's going to be dead weight sitting on top of a team of people who have to pick up phones and do stuff. Hopefully some accountability as well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So now how much, how much that, the weight of the, that executive team, Mm. the, the minimum team size that can support that weight's like 40 people. Sure. There are people who actually pick up phones and do stuff. And if you don't have 40 people picking up the phone and, and making things happen, then the executive team is is too heavy absolutely so until such time as you get to that uh mm. so between 12 and 40 I totally agree you're too big to be small and too small to be big i think a lot of businesses have to refer to your point have too many swiss army knives where the cfo's putting uh, a, 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 an it lead in a computer or he's, or he's doing something <laughs> else that's not even related to finance yeah. and we, they're doing the 25 things badly yeah. and i think what i tend to do is what is your role what are your strengths stay in your in your lane well that's the big switch, and that's why you ask the question why. Because the generalists, the little team of generalists, eight to twelve people who love each other yeah. and will happily get down on the floor and rewire the the server yeah. wire thing that, and they'll watch a YouTube video and figure yeah, out how to do clap it. Clap afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's all good if you're up yeah. to like ten people yeah. doing one or two million. Yeah, but you know, a team of generalists gets the first million. Uh, sure. And a team of specialists gets to 10 million. Mm. Um, but you need everyone in a really talent specialized role once you hit yeah. a certain point. But the thing most people don't realize is that that lovely company that was fun, freedom, flexibility based, yeah. it turns into performance, excellence, sure. you know, a very different culture. Sure. And if you don't want that, and if you don't have a real reason why, it's an issue. just stay at 10 people. Like, yeah. just enjoy being at 10 people. Do yeah. not go and try and go to this next jump. Yes. Because, you know, people think it's going to be more of the same. It's not going to be more of the same. a different landscape, right? So if someone says, oh, we've had a great time getting to 1.2 million pounds. Mm. We're pulling 300 grand profit out. Everyone loves the business. We go out every night, mm. uh, every Friday afternoon. We take the afternoon off. We go have pizza together as a yeah. team. and. Yeah, all that stuff. And you say, this has been so fun. Yeah, yeah. We should do 10 times 
this. And it's yeah. like, it's not going to be like this any it's longer. The why. I mean, a lot of the CEOs that I deal with or have dealt with in the past, they don't necessarily even know why they're doing what they're doing. They say, oh, I want to get it to, we're at 5 million now, let's get to 30 million. Why? Why? You know, why is 30 million an important number to you? But also, if you, if you are serious about that, I, I think that if you, if you ask a CEO one question six months ago, he'll have a different answer to what it is now. So some people say, oh, I, I don't want to exit. I don't want to go through that. And six months later, they completely change. So mm -hmm. I think it's really important to get yourself in that kind of build and sell exit mindset anyway to agree mm. because you just don't know what's around the corner. I think you've got to separate the two. So the business itself as an entity needs its own why. It needs its own vision. It needs its own reason for existing. Mm. And that reason won't change when it's sold. So it will continue on with an amazing purpose in the world and everyone who works there will still have that purpose. Yeah. Um, and you might continue to work there for a while and still have that purpose. But then you've got your own purpose. Mm. And most people don't realize, but your own why yeah. changes with kids. So, you know, you get married and have kids, whatever you whatever you went into your marriage and bachelordom thinking was your why yeah. is no longer your why. That's, that's, that's over. That's dead. So, you know, there are really, you know, I've, I've helped some people exit. And I said, why do you want to sell the business? It's going really well. And they said, they said, well, you know, I got family. And I go, okay, I totally get that. Mm. And it's really, it's a decision where you say, if I could take 9 million pounds off the table right now and set my family up yeah. for life, we own a big family, you know, we've got a big family home and we've got some properties and I've got, you know, let's say you've got three kids and you've got a couple of properties for each of the kids, mm. right? And you say, that's now locked away. It's pretty selfish to say, no, I'll just keep risking it all on the growth yeah. of the business. Yeah. Now, you might not have thought about that when you're a bachelor. No. So, But also as well, like a CEO can set up a business um, and get to 10 people, but it's a completely different level of skill set and capability when you've got 50 people. So sometimes the founder isn't the best CEO, right? Yeah. Sometimes you might have a desire you know, I might have a desire to play at Wimbledon. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know that I've got the talent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let, let's continue this then. So, sort of, what happened next in, in this in this wonderful journey of yours? Uh, so, basically, at the exact same moment that I, as is often the case, uh, at the exact same moment that I was ending one relationship and having a falling out, uh, a mentor of mine said, "Hey, I've got this really great company and this product that I'm working with." And we would love to do a launch in London. And mm. you, you're really good at doing launches. You do these rollout events and you do these kind of speakers and tours and all that. Yeah. Do you think you could do London? And I'm like, I've never been above the equator. Like I've <laughs> never, I've only been out of the country once or twice. Wow. Um, so I'd been doing Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne extensively, mm. but I'd done one little trip to New Zealand and one little trip to Vanuatu and a trip to Bali. And I'd never been above the equator. And I, and he says, well, you know, how hard could it be? Just, you know, it's 60 million people over there and they're all in like a tiny little island. <laughs> like how hard would it be? So just yeah. he, he encouraged me. He's like, just go to London and do our launch, right? Right. So um, so I signed a deal and I couldn't even spell whales at the time. I think I, I spelt it <laughs> like as in the, the fish. Yeah, well, uh, I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> so I remember writing out this contract and, and England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and, uh, and right. you know. Yeah. Anyway, so find myself launching a new business in, in London in 2006, and we smashed it. We basically signed up several international companies to launch in London. We, mm -hmm. we signed uh, deals with different companies. We got great 
promotional um, agreements with them. Yep. We took all the learnings from the first five years and put it into our agreements going into London. Launched in London, did four million pounds in the first year. Um, at the end of year one, we did this amazing massive event over at London Palladium Theatre. Mm. Um, we hired the venue for like 30 grand for the day and nice 2000 people show up we make like 600,000 pounds in the following week um as you do yeah and and i'm still only like 27 at this point wow. so um yeah so it was like one of these wild things to arrive in a place not knowing anybody and then in one year later uh, mm. to be standing on stage at the Palladium Theatre yeah. with 2,000 people in the audience. Yeah. What strikes me with you, you know, we're only up to age 27, you've had three or four kind of big ticket events and it's all gone very well and very swimmingly. And um, I, I, I built a business to sort of 30 million quid at the age of 29. And I have <laughs> yeah. to admit, uh, it did get to me a little bit. It made me a little bit big-headed. How did you keep a level head? I didn't, you know, I was big-headed. Uh, yeah, like a 20-year-old male. Yeah. Um, 20-something-year-old males. We're, we're ridiculous at that age. Um, we've not had proper yeah. blood noses. We've, we think we're, we think we walk on water because, mm. um, you know, just the arrogance and the cockiness of not knowing what it's like to have a family and all mm. of those things... Mm. You know, when you're a 20-something-year-old full of testosterone, yeah. you can go kick doors down 12-hour days and totally. think nothing of it. You can recruit people and bring them onto teams. You can be doing breakfast meetings, lunch meetings, dinner meetings, weekends. Mm. Um, you jump on a plane when you want to jump on a plane. Um, yeah. You know, the way I lived at that time was we'd do 60 hours in a week and then jump on a plane and go and spend a weekend in Mallorca. Sure. And then jump back and start all again on Monday morning. Sounds glamorous, but actually what I found was I wasn't really in tune myself. You know, I had different girlfriends, relationships were poor. It wasn't until I kind of had children that I sort of changed my, my mindset. What about you? Oh, same, same. Uh, having... Having a stable relationship and having kids changed absolutely everything. You know, mm. it's uh, it's a it's an empathy that you get with people. Um, it's you know, you suddenly have a better understanding of of what life's really about, what really brings fulfillment, what mm. what um, what balance is. Like I had zero balance in my yes. life. Yes. I, I was very one dimensional. Yes, um, absolutely, that resonates. Because what, what I found as well, I used to sort of spend ninety nine point nine percent of my time energy on work, and I used to be a, a boring fucker. Because all, all ask me <laughs> anything, I'd be about work or I'd send emails at three o'clock in the morning. I had yeah. nothing else going on in my yeah. life. You I know? used to also fall asleep at parties. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be at a party and I'd just be off in the corner having a nap. Yeah, be, because I'd worked so hard, you know. But but, <laughs> but having a wife or having kids, it, what, what it did do, it kind of realigned my thinking about. Actually, I can spend less time on the business and more time into my relationships, my personal development, and I can execute better in the business because of that. Yeah. I think it can't, sometimes stepping away yeah. and realizing why am I doing this in the first place? And actually, I ask myself the question, it's actually to spend more time with my children. So why am I spending all my time in work? Mm, yeah. And the constraint forces you to only do the stuff that really matters, not the stuff you yeah. – it's not the stuff you can do. It's the stuff you should be doing. Mm. Um, mm. And – you know, I think, you know, just the it gives you a purpose, gives you a why. Mm. You know, the the why question becomes very easy personally once you're once your family, yeah, you know, is there because you you know it's it's the default. Talk to us about because we, we talked about all the nice glamorous stuff. We touched on some of the kind of tricky bits, but let's go a bit deeper around anxiety, adversity, mental health, all that kind of stuff. What have you struggled with? Um, I've always been a very chipper positive person um 
but that means that a lot of people come to me with their problems and mm. for some reason um for a long time people come to me when they at the point where they're breaking down yeah. and lean on me for stuff so that's been a you know for all through my 20s that was a huge problem that I would have a lot of people leaning on me financially mm. and mm. Um, emotionally and all of those sorts of things. And most people just didn't – I also give off a very positive vibe. And most people didn't realize un unbelievable stress and pressure that we were juggling with. I was, I was almost always running my businesses using credit cards. And, you know, at the end of the month, you got to clear the credit cards. And, you know, sometimes that would be 75000 mm. on a credit card. And mm. these were the types of credit cards that you had to clear them. They weren't, yeah. they weren't make a minimum payment credit cards. They were, got you. you got to clear them. Um, you know, payroll and, uh, yeah, I mean, just so, mm. so many times we just scraped through. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think this is not a sexist thing, but it is, it's, it's a known fact that men... I mean, I'm 45. I think you're probably a little bit younger. 41, yeah. Yeah, but you know, of our age, uh, it's the highest suicide rates. And I think particularly, it doesn't matter if you're CEO or not, but I think that we're told not to necessarily talk about it and show emotion. And I, th I think it can be a very lonely place as a CEO or solopreneur when you've got that level of responsibility because you don't show any weakness, mm. right? So how did you, did, you, did you have people around you? Yeah, I joined a group called Entrepreneurs Org, and mm. they put you into a thing called a forum. And that was really good. I did right. that when I was about 24. Well, that's good. And every month we meet up and basically you realize they're all fucked as well. Mm. Um, so we all, we all get together and we all talk it out. And we, yeah. we, you know, you've got five or six people who are in the same position as you are. And they're all, all of us are looking good to our peers or to our teams. Yeah. But also um, dealing with the tough stuff. The problem with having a team is that you only... At a certain size, you only really find yourself dealing with the annoying stuff, all the fun stuff and easy stuff's outsourced. Yeah. You know, so you end up basically all the difficult decisions come to your part of the business and you have to create certainty for others while you've got none for yourself. Mm. So, for example, when you're leading a team meeting, you've got to give them, make sure they've got a plan and that they understand the pitch and they've got clarity yeah. and they understand exactly what needs to be done this week. Mm. And you're you're sitting there going, I have no idea what I'm how I'm going to solve my problems. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, well, sometimes you might be leading a team meeting, and you're going, we're having a massive falling out with this particular company that we're partnering with, but I have to make sure they're comfortable and yeah. happy while I'm sorting out this thing that you know I would love to take these guys and tell them to take a walk, mm. but I've got to have these guys yeah. out there selling. Um, so that stuff happens, you know, so it's really that kind of dichotomy of being pulled in two directions. Yeah. So I was very lucky to have this forum, um, that we just had a monthly meeting, uh, and yeah. it also provided context that all these people who look good, look amazing yeah. are actually struggling and they're, they're, they're like swans yeah. you know, gracefully cruising on the river underneath. They're like paddling like crazy. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're dealing with, dealing with stuff and, um, so that was that was pretty uh, pretty good, um, but mind you, I, yeah, I mean, I had uh, all sorts of low low moments. Um, you know, l l the global financial crisis was horrific. You know, I went from four million down to four hundred thousand in one year. Mm -hmm. um, most of that four hundred thousand was collections. Everyone I knew was going bust. Yeah. 
Um, we didn't know how long it was going to last. Everyone was saying this is going to be a three, four, five-year thing. I had to fire 17 of my team members. Right. Right. We went from riding high at the London Palladium Theatre to a year later having three of us having a Christmas dinner at a cheap restaurant. Sure. Um, I slipped on ice and almost broke my arm. I had a girlfriend with really bad mental health problems at the time. She was mm. diagnosed with bipolar and she was very difficult to live with. And Yeah. Um, and basically, I went from living in a penthouse apartment uh, near Chelsea to moving in with my sister's spare room. Um, and like, I mean, I, I just genuinely thought I was out. Um, there was even a moment that I could sell the company for a small amount of money. Yeah. It was like 300,000 exit on a 4 million pound a year business. Right, right. Two payments of 150K. That's what I thought I was exchanging on. And on the day that the guy was going to exchange on that, Mm. Uh, I get a phone call that he's not showing up because he's gone into hospital with a heart attack. Wow. And I'm like, what, like, what is going on? What else could happen? Yeah. Right? And I'd mentally yeah. checked out and I'd mentally started spending the next that I, I thought, okay, great. I got 250 grand payments coming in. Sure. That solves a bunch of problems. Um, and now it's like, nope, you've still owned that business and you've got all the <laughs> problems. I, th I, th I think sometimes though, when these things happen, about be sounding too kind of like hippie-ish they do happen for a reason and i think sometimes we need that kind of check to go and on a second you know am i really as successful and in tune with things as i as i as i should be and i think they then make you stronger and more resilient and more aware for the next it's almost preparing you for the mm -hmm. next level i think yeah that. well yeah because i i get to now um and you know, we're about to hit, head into a crazy recession, right? Yes, like the, the, the shit's going to hit the fan. 100%. Right? Yeah, <laughs> 2023 is going to be, yeah. you know, like the 2020s is just crisis after crisis after crisis. But strangely, because of some of the stuff I went through in the GFC and all that sort of stuff, mm. there's several frames of reference that I have now where it's like, I know I can handle this stuff. I know yeah, I've exactly. got way more options than I think. I know that this, I know that this stuff is never as bad like the good times are never actually as good as people make out uh -huh. and the bad times are never actually as bad as so people true. make out mm. so there's those frames of reference that i've got there mm. and um i think it's know. important i i see that like an american football field is this is the cole young thing i don't know if you study psychology where he came up with this concept where treat your life like an american football field there's two end zones there's an end zone of depression darkness and you're you know you're in this shit and there's a the other end zone where you're flying, you're, you've got all the money, abundance and love. It's actually not good to be in either of those end yeah. zones for too long yeah. because either you get complacent yeah. or you get too yeah. kind of, and it's kind of like almost just going with the flow. Oh, right? yeah. And the the pendulum always swings back the other way. Mm. So exactly. uh, like I've had the high, high, high times of loads of money, loads of travel, loads of parties. Yeah. Um, we're like walking on water type thing. Sure. Oh boy, does it swing back fast. Oh. And also even in the moment it swings. Like yeah. there are, you know, there are times, like those times attract a lot of crazy. Uh, there's all sorts of craziness going on. Mm. You know, when we were flying with this young dynamic company, like everyone was hooking up and new relationships, new sure. fallouts. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we'd go to the office on the weekend to enjoy the air conditioning on a hot day. And, you know, there was one time I walked in and the team had decided to get together and have a magic mushroom ceremony. <laughs> and I've got my entire team right. tripping balls no in way. my office. Wow. Um, 
that's, 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 that's funny, but also, like, you know, what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? <laughs> well, you've got to wait. Yeah. You can't, you can't <laughs> you, do immediately. There's, not a, lot you can, there's <laughs> not a lot you can do in no, the moment. No. You've got to have a conversation yeah. with them later. Not, not to show too many facial expressions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so <laughs> I've got a, a vision of that in my head now. So talk to us about your kind of, like, mistakes and the biggest bad call you've made, would you say? Uh, the biggest bad call I made was um, at a very low point after the GFC. I was sitting there. One of my really great long-term business partners, he was at a very low part of the end zone, right? He was down. Mm. And he said, I'm going to walk away from the business and I'm going to head to Bali and I'm just going to spend some time in Bali and get my head straight. There's not a lot I can add to you. And he'd right. been sort of like in a semi-depression state he'd been one of the best performers and then he'd kind of really hit him hard that the business had come off the boil okay so we were as i say we were million you know million pound quarters in our first year and um and then you know some amazing things were happening mm. anyway in that low moment of him leaving and the business going badly and all this sort of stuff i turned to this friend of mine good friend and i just wanted someone to be in this with me and I cut a deal where he would own thirty percent of the company, yeah, and um, and basically uh, we'd be partners. And I put no clauses in there for performance, and I put no um, bad levers or any of those sorts mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. wow. So it was just like let's let's do that basic trust. <clears throat> so you can see where this is going to go. Yeah. So basically, he he meets someone and they get married, and the, that relationship completely changes the dynamic between the two of us. Mm. Um, he becomes one of you know some, some you know how you've got some friends who get married and you wouldn't actually know. Like in the office, right. it just doesn't. You you might have had an experience with a friend where their relationship doesn't spill over into their work mm. life. The two things are completely separate. Or as the other end is going, it definitely does. <laughs> so he was on that end, right? right? So he was like. One hundred percent. Like he could, couldn't. He like they. They wouldn't. They would. They were John and Yoko, right? John and like a proper. Yeah. yeah. Like we don't separate ever. Right. Um, Joined at the hip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and the, the 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 creativity went out the window. The the the, the chemistry between us completely. Wow. Yeah. So the whole it's thing. A huge like tr change, isn't it? A massive change. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was just, and it was just. We tried every which way to twist it so that it could try and make it work, and it just got worse and worse and mm. worse. So eventually it got to the point where we just had to part ways. But at that point, uh, rather like for me personally, me, me personally, if that were me, mm. that I'd taken a chunk of equity of a company yeah. and hadn't actually, and I'd, and I'd let my personal life kind of make it a yeah. thing. You wouldn't I be put, I put, well, I'd just walk, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'd be like, hey, look, it hasn't worked out, right? So I'm, I'm a walker. It's like we either make money together and there's a big payday and we split it and we're, we're riding high and we've achieved something. Mm. Um, and because we expanded the pie, fabulous. Got you. Or I'll just happily walk away and I'll go start something new, right? So that's my attitude. He didn't have that attitude. Dug his heels in, right? He dug his heels in and said, okay, so that 30%, uh, here's, the, here's the full retail rate for that. Wow. Um, so we had to have a... Uh, a negotiation. It's the air of um, either arrogance or kind of like, you know, it's almost a disrespect. Well, I think it's it's just being, it's it's the <laughs> it was their it was the there was more there were more people involved in that decision than mm. just him. Uh, mm. So you know, so maybe he might have done that as a 
as a bachelor, but he he wasn't going to do that. Uh, so so what would the score app say about you? What's your what, how what's your behaviour like? Mind you, that was a long time ago, right? So, yeah. uh, what would my personality test be? Yeah, well, if 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 yeah, have you done the assessment on yourself? Yeah, I've, uh, well, the score app software is thousands of assessments, right? Yeah, we now have two and a half thousand different assessments on there. We got like, are you ready to run a marathon? And are you ready to oh, right. buy a house? And um, would you make a you know would you make a are you ready to be a parent? Um, you know, take the health and wellness scorecard, take the emotional resilience scorecard. So like people create their own scorecards on the platform and then they launch them and they, mm. they so score app is a beautiful landing page, a questionnaire and a dynamic results page. Got you. So that's the main guts of it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a big lead generator, but I get what you're saying, which is the personality testing ones. Uh, yeah. Extrovert. Um, uh, versus introvert, I, I'm terrible at keeping secrets. Uh, so what are you? Which one are you? I'm an extrovert. You're an yeah, extrovert. Yeah, okay. right. yeah, and intuitive versus yeah uh, the other one. So essentially, you know, I, I I'm off the scale in terms of creativity and creative thinking, mm. um, and I'm really good at starting stuff, but I need people around me to finish it. Mm. So I think I, the big thing I'm getting from you and from this is 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 the word awareness. I think that's such a powerful leadership mm. skill, right? Yeah, we we have embedded that into our culture. So we run something called an awareness list. Okay, right. Uh, in all the businesses, so um, the awareness list is we teach all of the team if something keeps popping up onto your awareness, you need to talk about it. Mm. Um, so so what, what do you think your biggest limitations are? What, where do you feel that you let yourself down? Uh, my answer to everything is go start something new in business, right? <laughs> so I love new stuff. Um, I'm, I'm a first million guy. So yeah. I, I love the zero to million thing. And I need to... I need to have people around me to professionalize in order to scale. Um, and I need to be really self-aware that I'm a disruptive force, uh, which works really well in the beginning and doesn't work so well after we're up and going. So like it's a bit like the, the start to finish or completion thing. That I'm not, I'm not the implement. Right. I'm not the implement. Right. Yeah, very. Which is really important. So what's your, what is your purpose? Why, why are you doing what you're doing? So there's, there's layers to it, but um, my work purpose is develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, make a dent in the universe. Uh, so I, right. what I want to do is work with businesses that make positive impact. Um, I love entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship. I think the world changes for the better when entrepreneurs have their hands on things. Totally agree. Um, I, I love uh, the idea that entrepreneurs see a problem and then think about how they might create a scalable solution to that. The world's got so many problems right now mm. and okay. entrepreneurs like just literally as i was walking in here an entrepreneur was pitching us to get onto an accelerator and um their their idea is to eradicate the plastic waste out of the dry cleaning industry and the dry cleaning industry has huge numbers of those clear bags that they go through on every time yeah. you get a shirt done yeah yeah it comes with a massive single-use piece of plastic so they're eradicating that and they're coming up with a, a, a reusable solution and all this sort of stuff and this, this is this is what i love about entrepreneurs yeah. you know they're seeing something that they don't like yeah. and they're going i'm gonna i'm gonna go and fix that i'm gonna figure it out and uh yeah. and i'm gonna change that and we're gonna get rid of a billion plastic bags um 
So it's, it's it's doing something new. It's keeping keeping the dial pushing forward, and you know, you, you might get a business to 10, 15, 20, 30 million, and that kind of almost doesn't excite you anymore. And you're going to do it again. Well, for me, I've built a business that works with lots of people who are starting things. Right. So okay, right. Yeah. You know, so the Score app is a, is solving the biggest problem they have, which is lead generation. Mm. So uh, having worked with thousands, three and a half thousand entrepreneurs, yeah they all struggle to get into a position where they have a steady stream of leads. Mm-hmm. The first mentor I had when I was 19, lesson number one that he gave us was everything's downstream from lead generation. Sure. So he basically said, if you can't generate a lead, it doesn't matter what else you've got going on. Yeah. Everything is downstream from lead generation. And lead generation is your first and biggest problem to solve in the beginning. Um, when we did the first business, which was the roadshow business, Triumphant Events, yeah. Um, when we would talk to the companies that wanted to scale, they had put millions of development into the product and they couldn't scale because they couldn't get leads. And we would then do these uh, roadshow events and we'd solve the lead gen problem for them and we'd end up with huge commissions for solving that one problem. Mm-hmm. So um, so ScoreUp is about the whole scaling up part, you know, stand out, scale up. Dent is about uh, making a dent in the universe, positioning a business to solve a meaningful sure. problem and then getting yourself out there as the voice of that problem and solving it and and talking Mm. about it. So for me, my whole purpose is develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up and make a positive impact. Mm. And if I'm doing that, I'm very happy. Um, All my businesses relate to that. You're getting the money and the rewards, but I sense you're getting a lot of fulfillment out of watching people grow as well, right? Yeah. Uh, Well, here's the fun thing about money. It's actually not fun. Uh, I know this will sound so weird and you, you, you might have uh, experienced this or seen some of your clients experience this, but it's very stressful to get a chunk of money at one time. Mm. What do you do with it? Yeah. Right? A sense of kind of like anti-climax because like, what I'm going to do with it? Also, what am I going to do with my life as well? Yeah. So here's what you end up thinking. You go, okay, I, I need to buy a big house um, and now we've got to go looking for houses and, and negotiating houses, which is not something I normally would like to yeah. do. And then you go, okay, I'm going to get some investment properties now I've got to go negotiate mortgages and tenants and renovations and mm. developments. Mm. Uh, I'm going to stick a whole bunch into like Vanguard and now I need to worry about the stock market going up and down and all yeah. this sort of stuff. So, so I, know that, I know this sounds such a sport brat kind of thing, but the point is, is that you go from being this passionate entrepreneur who's skidding through by the seat of the pants, having adventures, yeah. to being a capital fund manager who's the most boring asshole yeah. in the world trying Stay to- Stay on a spreadsheet all day. <laughs> trying to figure yeah. out yeah, how yeah. not to lose this yeah. priceless vase that you've been handed. Lack of purpose then, because your purpose is kind of like, it's one of them, isn't it? You're now a fund manager. Yeah. So- um, so the funny thing is, is that you've really got to have this whole fun and purpose thing figured out mm. because when the mo- if the money does show up and you've got no purpose, yeah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make you happy. You end up as a fund manager, which you sure. ne- never intended to be. It's a fascinating conversation. We're reaching uh, sort of the last um, few questions on this, but I want to go back into kind of the social media aspect of things, how that's evolved over the last five years, but also talk about vulnerability and authenticity and i think the power of your own story so you're an extrovert but i mean i've built my brand on linkedin and other platforms by telling my story and being reasonably vulnerable what's your take on this kind of stuff and i think as well some people have used the mental health card a little bit too much in a disingenuous way so all that kind of stuff yeah big big topic i I think uh two things number one if you enjoy being vulnerable publicly 
Uh, that's one thing. Most people don't. But if if it works for you, that's you, you know be be aware that you may or may not like that. Mm. Uh, number two, does it actually build your brand or does it harm your brand? Mm. So some people are very good at telling their story in a vulnerable way, in a way that's also very attractive, and it work for whatever reason their business and the way they tell the yeah. story, it attracts business. I've also seen people who have shot themselves in the foot with vulnerability publicly mm-hmm. because they didn't tell the story in a way that actually makes you want to work with them they tell the story in a way that makes you go oh okay i better steer clear steer clear right right right. so it's reduced the number of opportunities so then they feel ashamed oh i shouldn't have said that Mm. right oh what have i done i've gone and shot myself in the foot so Mm. if it's working for you and it's bringing you clients and you're enjoying telling the story then it's a it's a positive thing but the flip side of that is that it could actually make you feel ashamed and it could make you feel mm. worse. Um, mm. So one thing that almost never backfires is having an inner circle, a private group of people that you talk about yeah. your decisions with. Sounding board. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's, you know... It's important. My business partner in Australia, we have the kind of relationship where we can say the worst things to each other, as in like, I'm feeling really flat today i'm sick of this thing i i would just happily i would happily uh, walk away from it all right we can go right to the we can mentally go to that uh low point Mm. and we've we do that for each other Mm. um so we talk we talk about the highs the lows but it's private um and i've also got a few private friends where i will say hey i'm thinking of doing this you know or i'm i'm really frustrated with this particular person mm. how do you think i should handle it so i have those private chats so if you're unsure about being publicly vulnerable just know that being privately vulnerable never backfires that's Got you me. know if you can put together a group of people yeah, that yeah. there's no there's no downside in that so so when when have you been the most vulnerable when when have i mm. Uh, well, it's mostly in these forums that I put myself in, um, where you know, where I'm with people who I know that they will understand the highs and the lows, and we just totally open up. And Is that mainly based around sort of not imposter syndrome, but doubting yourself in business, or have you had personal vulnerability as well with relationships or that kind of stuff? Oh, I mean, it's fairly constant, um, right. as in like, as in like, there's always a high and a low of the day. You know, when your business is flying, there's always some personal issue going on. And when your personal life's flying, then there's always some business issue going on. And if if you get to a certain size in business, the most annoying thing about being at a certain size in business is that on any given day, there's something that's great and there's something that's shit. Mm. I've had experiences where we've been winning a major award and we've been dealing with a fire that's like urgent and expensive. Sure. And it's like, isn't it ridiculous that on this day... I'm literally going from this shitty meeting mm. to collect an award for being amazing. Yeah. And it's like, this doesn't feel right. It's a complete paradox. You, but, you can't be happy and sad at the same time, but you kind of got to be. Almost. Oh, I know. There's yeah. there's always something to rain on the parade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no matter how, like, because at a certain size, it's just, it's mm. always good and bad. But you wouldn't have it any, any other way, right? No, I'm fine with it, right? I, yeah. So for me, I've, I'm, I've separated my own ego from the bit. The business is its own identity and I'm, mm. I'm my own identity. Okay. Um, so you've got a podcast, right? And you've had Jay Shetty on there. How did that come about? Uh, well, Jay, so Jay has a mutual friend with me, a mutual mentor friend, um, a guy called Thomas Power. And Thomas rings me up one day and says, Dan, you got you got to meet this guy called Jay. He's he's blowing up on Facebook. He's and he's you see, got to see his eyes. He's got blue eyes and he's Indian and he's he looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so he says, uh, meet this guy, Jay. He wants to build, he's going to build a personal brand. So I catch up with Jay a few times and like, this is completely before he's blown up. And we start talking about right. things like writing a book that he should write a book. And we start talking about like, what did he learn from monk world and like, right. how would he bring that in? Cool. And we start having conversations about perhaps he should do like a monk assessment um, and, like some of those early ideas. I mean, he led those conversations and I, you know, helped mm. sort of bring it out. But we we were like having some good chats and then he blows up. Um, yeah. But what's nice with Jay is he just, you know, he, he remembers people and he, he's, mm. a, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Uh, he got uh, slammed with this ridiculous video about him uh, doing uh, quotes that he didn't... Um, uh, he didn't attribute or whatever, and yeah. the, it's ridiculous. He he's a, he's always for as long as I've known oh. him, he's been attributing stuff, and he's there's oh, been see. the occasional one, yeah. and there's also he's he's done a thing where he's done videos that are almost like a slam poetry where he strings together quotes. But isn't that all content creators? Do that? Uh, it's got to start somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, and it, yeah. and some of the stuff that they pulled him up on, some of the stuff they pulled him up on was like um, he had a team in India running his Twitter account. And they were just pulling stuff and posting stuff back when he had a thousand followers, right? Right, and now, okay, yeah. they were, you know, and he had outsourced it for a few months, and then it wasn't working, so he brought it back in, but it's mm. still there. So anyway, mm. but look, the thing with Jay is he's he's amazing. His book is great. He's a lovely guy behind yeah. the scenes. Um, he he's thoughtful. He is who he says he is. Um, sure, yeah, really cool. So, guy. so what kind of pisses you off about social media? I mean, I, you know, I think that the, the more following. Or followers you get, or the more successful you are, the more kind of trolls and aggression and hate you get as well. I mean, that that used to piss me off. It doesn't anymore. But with yourself, what what pisses you off about kind of social media in general? Social media in general, it feels a bit like a treadmill. It feels like you just you know you're always on it, and you, yeah, you know, I, I frustrate myself with like checking my phone first thing in the morning or last thing at night, and I know that I should have a digital sunset now before bed and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's hard though, right? And it's like, oh, I just need to yeah. have that last little touch of dopamine. <laughs> I just need that. <laughs> What's people saying on LinkedIn? Yeah, uh, you know, so so like you know the the endlessness of it um, is. You know, I would. I don't want to criticize it because social media has created the ability for conversations to happen without geography. Um, mm. You know, the world I the world I enjoy could never could never yeah. have happened. Right? Let's just be real. I live in a I live in a time that had I been born at any other time, I'd be a farmer or a soldier or like some oh, sure. some ridiculous thing. Most of my life would have been based on geography, and if I was born in Geelong in Australia, I would have lived in Geelong and died in Geelong yes, and yes. I would never have had an awareness of what conversations go on around the world or different cultures or different ideas. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have had as much disruption or, or distraction, mm. but I'd live a very sheltered life. Today, I have a global business. We've got an amazing global team. We've got incredible people in the Philippines and, we've yeah. got, you know, right. like wow. people all over the world. We've got a team in Canada. We've got a team in Australia. We've got um, clients all over the world. You know, I... And none of it's possible without this. So, yeah, it's it's shitty. It's got its downsides. Mm. But on the whole, I'm pretty stoked that I was yeah. born at the right time yeah. for, for all this happening. So on, on, on the kind of last few points, in terms of the, the, the global businesses that you've got, you've talked about balance. I, I call it harmony. You've got, I think you said you've got three kids. They're quite young. And you've, yeah. you've got a wife. How do you, how do you harmonize and balance your life? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
just I, th- I think really boring routines. A big part of it's boring routines. You know, mm. every every night is bath time at six thirty, and right. dinner time is at a certain time, and sure. Um, and we're just in we're in routines. And my wife and I are great at. We know that we're in a phase of life with young kids. We don't put the pressure on ourselves to like live glamorously in terms of, yeah. you know, th- like for example, the last three years we've holidayed two hours down the road. So, mm. you know, we live in London, we go down to the South Coast pool and nice. we, we stay for two weeks Lovely on the beach there. there. Yeah, yeah. Now, my wife grew up in Switzerland with an apartment in Ibiza right. uh, and she's traveled the whole world and I've traveled the whole world. So it's not as glamorous as what we would like to do, you know, when yeah. we were when we were just a couple. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, let's duck over to Lake Como and stay at a really great hotel. But you know, with little kids, getting them through an airport, like, oh mate, I mean, I, I've I've done the Maldives and all, all exotic locations, but when I take my kids camping, they absolutely love it. And it's, it's you know, it's it's about that, isn't it? And also, I think you can actually love it more than that yourself as well. Yeah. So just enjoying the chapter. That we're in, you know, that we're not trying to hold mm. on to the previous chapter and we're not trying to rush through to no. the next chapter. We're just enjoying this is the chapter called having little kids. Yes. Um, which means we embrace routine. Um, big point on that point, because like I think I think when you start blurring the fact if, you, if you're having dinner with your children, and you're on your phone sending an email, it's just you're, you're killing both of those things. Yeah. It's about yeah. just. Yeah. Just you're not doing. That's about. a that's a great distinction. You're not doing either one of those things well. Mm. So. Yeah, for me, I try and just I try and work between nine thirty and five thirty most mm-hmm. days, and I try and not do anything. One of the ways that I do have balance, and this is something that I think more people should probably do, is I've got an assistant, Susie, and I talk to Susie about what I'm trying to achieve in the next quarter, mm-hmm. and um, and I basically talk about what's a priority and what's not a priority. Yes, and then. Now, I say yes to everything. If you contact me directly and it's like, oh, this person just wants to pick your brains for an hour. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. All right. So I'll say yes to stuff. Yeah. Whereas Susie will go, that's just not a priority. Um, sorry, he just doesn't have time for that. Yeah. Um, or he just can't do that at the moment. I'm mm. really sorry. Uh, sure. I don't even know about it, and I'm glad I don't know about it because I'd freak out because yeah, I hate yeah. saying no to people. And that's about just having the right people. You're only as good as the people around you, right? Yeah. So even when I've been at a really low point financially, I've always had an assistant mm. and my, my diary gets filled up through my assistant and my only, the only way that I'm doing, like all yeah. of the stuff that I'm doing for the week is already in my diary Sure. and I'm turning up and all the notes are in the diary. This is what you're doing and It's today. already been filtered to, to maximize. Or it's already been filtered. Yeah. So, and that's a that's important because mm. I know I'm self aware mm. that I'm not good at filtering for myself because mm. I just hate saying no to people. Yeah, you almost like don't want to let someone down. I don't like, want to let them down. I just yeah. oh, I just like meeting people <laughs> and other and I and I always yeah. see the I always see the bull case or the upside in. Yeah. Oh, what if they're amazing? What if yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What if? So just quickly then before we go, have you got four books on the go at the moment? Is that right? Uh, so I've written four in the Entrepreneur Journey series. I wrote, I co-authored a book called How to Raise Entrepreneurial Kids mm-hmm. um, and um, co-authored a book on What's Your Business Worth, which is about valuation. Nice. And um, and then the new book that's coming out is called Scorecard Marketing. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be giving away about 10,000 copies of that over wow. the next six months. Um, and that's really, it's the strategy playbook for how to do a scorecard marketing campaign. Just quickly, how many businesses have you helped exit so far? 
I'd have to work it out. Um, <laughs> it's a good number that you can't remember. That must yeah. Be, must be. No, I've, I've been, because we've had three and a half thousand clients and a lot of them have wanted to exit and I've been an advisor on lots of deals. The thing and is though, what I found is there's no blind science. There's no kind of like, this is how you do it. I think every single transaction is, we, it's a framework, but every single transaction yeah. is different, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And for anyone who's not exited before, you imagine that exiting a business is like selling a house, that it's really simple and there's straightforward and there's a process and that this this yeah. person's going to buy and this person's going to sell and they're going to exchange. And a business is nothing like that. You know, there's earn-out periods, performance clauses, there's, mm. uh, there's aligning interests. You might have three or four shareholders who each technically have this percentage. Yeah, yeah. And the ultimate end-up exit deal might look nothing like that. This person might be walking away. Yeah. This person might be sticking around. And ultimately, you need to align to whatever the acquirer wants. There's there's a lot of factors. Yeah. But also, you might have a number in your head. The, the, the chances of actually achieving that number are very rare. And I think that there needs to be a margin to go, actually, look, there's 10% under what I wanted. You know, sometimes you've got to take the money as well. Yeah, you've got to take the deal that's available. Yeah, because well, it's it's mostly, you know, depends. There are ways to orchestrate a bidding war. Yes, um, and that's the best case scenario. You know, mm. if you can have three or four companies that really want that, like, yeah, WhatsApp solved for nineteen billion or whatever it was because Google and Facebook were not going to let the other one have it, and yeah. they bid it to the stratosphere. That was perfect scenario, wasn't it? Right, perfect <laughs> scenario. Yeah, because then you're in a complete. But in many cases, you're not in that scenario, mm-hmm. um, and you've, you're in a negotiation rather than a bidding war. So yeah. finally, sort of going back to that eighteen, nineteen year old, twenty one year old self, that sort of age. What would you do differently? <laughs> get into software earlier. Right. <laughs> get, yeah. get in. Uh, go go befriend Mark Zuckerberg. There's this guy called Mark Zuckerberg. Hindsight's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> go, jump on a plane. Yeah. Go be his friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but on a serious note, um, the you know, I'm I'm really happy with the journey and the way things have turned out. There are obviously, with the perfect benefit of hindsight, mm. I would have taken courses on negotiating. Right. Um, I would have gotten mentors uh, better and I would have probably paid them. Uh, and I would have gotten an NED, yeah. someone who's been through the whole journey before mm-hmm. like, and is actually somehow bonused up on, a, on the kind of aligned result that I want. Um, uh, I would have uh, definitely developed software. All right? I, know that, mm-hmm. I know that that's – I would de- develop intellectual property, media and software earlier. Um, because ultimately your business is going to be valued on your intellectual property 100%. and your so- and yeah. your technology and the quality the, of it as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and you're going to have to go through several learning cycles. So you might as well get the first terrible mm. one out of the way. Mm. But if you take a all things being equal, if you take a business that is a services business, but it has its own little bit of proprietary software, even if it's only got a hundred subscribers to that, or it's got like, yeah. or it's using that technology with a piece of with a yeah that could be the difference of a selling for seven times ebitda versus selling for five times ebitda Mm -hmm. so you know you might get two years worth of profit just simply because you did some r&d you might have got an r&d tax break anyway yeah um so you know that that and it also might be the difference between getting a deal and not getting a deal sure because when they say how does this business run without you and you say actually the technology does a lot of work this is this is right because it's a little bit of a fallacy so the most important thing is people people are important but it's the ip the data and the operations all that kind of stuff is you know without that you haven't got business anyway yeah 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 the people are important like in the same way that if you had 
lumberjacks cutting down trees, obviously you need a lumberjack to cut down a tree. But yeah, if they're working rough. with axes or if they're working with chainsaws, yeah, of course. right? So it's like if you can develop chainsaws, mm. then the lumberjacks become, they only have to be 16 years old. They don't have to be 28. Um, you know, I mean, some of these big tech firms, like multi-billion pound firms, have got like four people in them. Well, yeah. Uh, Instagram <laughs> sold for a billion and it had 13 people. Yeah. You know, um, you know, so, but you can underpin, you know, those are extreme examples, but you can underpin any business with a bit of proprietary tech mm. and some data mm. and, you know, some media, like mm. you can have a media archive of, of media assets. 100%. Those things make a huge difference on Exit. Repurpose lots of things these days as well, right? Yeah. And when you even also on the people thing, until you've got 40 or 50 people, they don't really take you seriously as having people anyway, because- no they'll sit there and say, well, half the team's going to leave when you leave. Mm. You know, you've got seven people and you're the fearless leader. Yeah. Of course, they're all going to follow you to the next venture. You've got to make yourself redundant as well. Yeah. I think a lot of CEOs don't see that or, or they're too scared to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that self-awareness, yeah. right? You're probably, you. Were, there's a good chance you were probably really good at starting this thing mm. or you were really good at solving a particular problem that the business needed solving at the time. But there's a really good chance that a grown-up um, get out of your own way. Yeah, there's there are grown-ups. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're, you know, here's the one thing too. You don't need to necessarily hire a COO who used to be a COO of a big company. Mm. In many cases, you can hire someone who used to be a store manager at McDonald's mm. or who used to be a bank branch manager or used to be a running a call center doing $3 million. fresh perspective, right? They're very hands-on. They're very, mm. you know, they they do smooth operations. They mm. have performance meetings with every member of the team once every ninety days. Yes, they keep dashboards. When someone sends through yeah. a NAS, when someone sends a snarky text message, they screenshot They're it and it. put it in their file. They're on it, right? They're yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. And then when that person becomes problematic, they bring out their file and they go, yeah. "Look, here's here's what's going on." 100%. And they and they don't end up in a HR claim. Um, you know, they're just good operators. Mm. Entrepreneurs aren't like that. We don't. We just move in too fast to do any of those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, we don't be bored with all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. whereas you get a few people who I'd call the grown-ups, and if you, the faster you can get a few grown-ups and get that entrepreneurial energy, entrepreneurial energy is like a fire. It mm. needs to be in a fireplace or it burns the house down. Yes. Right. So. Totally. As, That's a really good analogy. I love that. Yeah. So you need to know about yourself yeah. that maybe your whole purpose in the business now is to be wheeled out at the annual conference. Yeah. Right. And bang your symbols. That might be enough. That might be enough. Yeah. Maybe it's once every 90 days you G up the team with a bit of rah-rah yeah. or maybe you write a book or maybe you go on podcasts. But don't, but don't get experts in and tell them what to do. And, you know, don't, don't give someone responsibility and then micromanage them out the hell out of them. Yeah. You know. Think of, I always think about the army. The army have got all these guys who they just literally send them into a war zone and say, these are your missions. This is the, this is the mission. Get on with it. You've yeah. got 120 people. Make sure they don't die. Uh, and uh, and this, that's your mission. Go get that done. Mm. And then they let them get on with it. Mm. And I think to myself, God, if they can let that, if they can let 25-year-olds do that, yeah, like I don't need to micromanage people to run a simple business like mine where no one's getting shot at. Brilliant. Yeah. What a fascinating conversation. Absolutely thrilled to have you on board. Uh, hopefully we can become good friends and support each other. I mean, I'm sure the audience will be very chuffed to hear what you said today. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah. <laughs> Before you go, what's one piece of advice you want to leave the audience with? Uh, the most poignant thing at the moment is that we look like we're sailing into a storm um, and it's going to be a shit storm. Um, so the piece of advice I would say is, is 
have a sentence printed out somewhere, tattooed on your arm that says, that's not for me, right? Mm. And when the news comes on at the night mm. and they're talking about the national issue of the day, yeah, just go, that's not for me. Right, I can't. I've got nothing I can do. For, there's nothing I can add to that conversation. Yes, it's not my business. It's not my. There's very little that 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 I'm able. That's out of my control. So that's not for me. Uh, when you're on social media, and there's U.S. politics, you go. That's yeah. not for me. And then there's some like woke debate versus a conservative opinion yeah. debate, and you're sitting there going, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe that side believes this." And right, just go. That's not for me. Mm. And just simply the, there's going to be so much negativity and noise in the next 12 months. 100%. And it's going to, if you engage with it, it's going to bring you down. And what you'll miss is that this is a great time. Yeah. There's more money in the economy than ever before. Inflation is too much money. That's mm. the definition. Mm. The, the definition of inflation is yeah. too much money looking for a home, right, right. Uh, looking for something to go into. There's more talent available than ever before. There's incredibly talented people scattered all over the world looking for opportunities. Sure. There's more technology that's available for free or almost for free. Uh, there's more investors looking for investments that aren't going to tank um, or, or, you know, or emerging opportunities. This is the greatest time to be alive. You wouldn't want to be born at any other time. This is it. This is the magical moment. This is this yes. is an incredible time in humanity. But the only downside of the time that we're in right now is that every issue of the day mm. can find its way into your pocket. Mm. And you just have to, you have to get disciplined around that's not for me. Having that mindset, conserving your energy and focusing on what you can control. Love that. Thank you for today. Brilliant to have you on. Pleasure. I, I loved it. Cheers. Cheers. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash chrisoconnell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.